half and half. half. Okay. Well, I hope uh, your year was a good year, and Bezos Hashem has much hatzlacha in all of the uh, all of the new endeavors that uh, will be Thank going you. Thank you. Okay. So today, uh, I may talk about two different uh, topics of unequal length. Uh, the first actually connects a little bit to Shemos and Geniza, and they want to talk a little bit about uh, the various respects we have to show to Hashem's name. And uh, we all, all of us know that uh, one of the things a Jew does is you make brachos. You make brachos before you eat, you make brachos after you eat, you make brachos before you do mitzvahs. But we know that there's a concept in halacha called a bracha levatala, a blessing in vain. And a blessing in vain is considered to be a sin. Uh, but there are two types of bracha levatala. Let me give you an example. They actually go by two different names. Type one bracha levatala is a true bracha levatala. That's simply, I'm not eating, I'm not drinking, but I want to praise Hashem because he makes fruit. So I simply say in the middle of the day, bracha ta Hashem, with Hashem's name, elokeinu malacholam, that's a, even though you might have thought that's a good thing, I'm praising Hashem, but that is called a bracha levatala. It's a bracha in vain. It's an aveira. That's a type one bracha levatala, and that's for sure a bracha levatala. There's another type that's called type two, and that goes by a different title. That's called bracha she'ena tsericha. So it's not called levatala, but it's called an unnecessary bracha a superfluous bracha. This is a case where you actually have to make the bracha, but you shouldn't have put yourself in the situation where you have to make it. An example would be, uh, let's, say, uh, you're, uh, let's say that um, you're planning on eating uh, apples and grapes. Now, what you can do is you can make a bracha on the grape, because that's the seven species, and have kavana to cover the apple. You don't have to make a separate bread for your eggs. But what if you deliberately had intention? I am not, I am not intending to cover the apple. So then you actually have to make another eggs on the apple. So it's not a bracha levatala type one, but it's called a bracha she'enat sericha because you manipulated yourself into having to make a bracha that you shouldn't have done. Now, so before I make a bracha, yeah. I have to look at the table and see like what falls into that category and have in mind what I'm going to eat? That would be, well, well, let me put it this way. Uh, you don't necessarily, well, well, yeah. In other words, generally speaking, the way it works today is everything on the table is covered by your bracha. You don't have to consciously be aware of it. Right. But if you're consciously have kavana that you don't want to cover it, then it doesn't, it's not covered. So if I have a bunch of fruit on the table and I make one very prio eggs, that does cover all the fruit on the table. That's true. But if I specifically said I don't want it to cover the apples, then when I eat the apple, I gotta make a very prio eggs because I specifically excluded it. But uh, it's a sin to do that. In other words, you have to make the bracha once you did it, but it's a sin to do that because that's called bracha she'ena e'na tzricha. Why would somebody do that? I'm just curious. Oh, well, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, number one, uh, you know, the simplest reason is, in fact, some say it's mutter for that reason. You're supposed to recite 100 brachos every day. So let's say I'm a little short, or I'm a lot short. So I might start saying, okay. In fact, you know, you could do this a million times, and you can understand the problem. Let's say I'm eating a cluster of grapes. I have five grapes. 
I could say, my beret pre-age is only on grape number one. And when I eat grape number two, I make another beret pre-age. Now, the understand it's a little subtle. Once you have that kavana, you have to make the bracha over and over again. But it's a sin to put yourself in that condition. Another example might be for desserts, although desserts are complicated because often you make, an after, you make it before bracha anyway, but let's say cake. Let's say I'm in a bread meal and the bread covers everything and the bread covers the cake. Generally speaking, I don't make a mazonos on cake if I'm eating it in a bread meal, even if it's dessert. I make it on fruit and, and, and watermelon and the like, but not on cake. And why is that so? It's a little complicated. So let's say, what I do is I say, let's have cake after benching. So that way I get to make a baremine mizonos and an alhamichia. Well, once you defer it to after benching, indeed you have to make those brachos. But since it could have been folded into the meal, and it would have been covered by hamotzi and birkat hamazon, that's called a bracha she'ena suricha. So these are two different ideas. Bracha levatala is literally a blessing in vain. Bracha she'ena suricha is a blessing that shouldn't have had to have been made, although once you put yourself in that situation, you're going to have to make it. Obviously, in terms of severity of Avera, bracha levatola is much more severe than bracha shein etzricha. Okay, bracha shein etzricha uh, is something you try to avoid, but uh, it's not uh, the biggest Avera. Bracha levatola is a very severe Avera. But the question is this. The question is, let's analyze the source a little bit. Where, what is the prohibition of a bracha levatola? What is the sin that you're committing when you recite a bracha in vain. So the Rambam says, the sin is the third of the Ten Commandments. Right? The third of the Aseris Adibros is lo sisa eshem Hashem elokecho lashov. Do not carry the name of Hashem in vain. When you say the name of Hashem in vain, you transgress the sin of Losisa. And Losisa is a very severe error because the Torah itself goes on and says, Lo yinaka Hashem. Hashem is not going to forgive one who takes his name in vain. So according to the Rambam, Bracha Levatola is an Iser da Oraisa. You are over on a negative commandment when you recite a Bracha in vain because you're taking God's name in vain. This is the sheet of the Rambam. There's a little bit of a paradox here. Let me just explain uh, what, the, what the problem with the Rambam is. There's a Gemara in Maseches Tumura that actually says that if you actually say God's name in vain, let's say I don't say a blessing in vain, let's say I just say Hashem's name in vain, meaning I say uh, Elohim, I pronounce Elohim, I pronounce Aleph Dalit Nun Yud, I pronounce those names of God. The halacha is I only transgress a positive commandment that you are supposed to have reverence for Hashem and mentioning Hashem's name in vain is a lack of reverence. So according to the Rambam, it's a crazy paradox. If I simply say God's name in vain, I only transgress a positive commandment. If I say a blessing in vain, I have the negative commandment of Losisa. How could a blessing in vain 
be worse than saying God's name in vain generally. That's not logical. Because at least with a blessing, at least you're... I'm blessing him? Well, 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 that's a general... Well, well okay, I mean, that, that's a general question. How do you, what, what is a blessing? Okay, that, that's a good question, but uh, nothing to do with this subject per se. What does it mean when you say, Baruch Atah Hashem, Blessed art you, Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Olam, our God that's the king of the universe, who does, what, who does whatever. All right, so good question. What does it mean to bless Hashem, right? What are you blessing? You're giving Hashem something? Right, uh, you know, I could bless you that Hashem should give you something. Hashem could certainly bless us in everything, but how do I bless Hashem? What does it mean to bless Hashem? So there are different interpretations uh, of what that means. It's a very good question. Uh, some say when you bless Hashem, that doesn't mean you're blessing Him. It means you're acknowledging that He is the source of blessing. Baruch Ata, you are Baruch. You are the Makor. You are the Shirish. You are the root of all blessing that comes into the world. So it's not giving Hashem a blessing. It's acknowledging that Hashem is the source of all blessing. That is one uh, interpretation of Baruch. The other interpretation is a Kabbalistic. It's said by the Nefesh HaChaim. The truth is, uh, the Alter Rebbe doesn't say it's Feirish on Baruch, but it seems to come out from his uh, overall uh, words. And that is, it's a way of releasing Hashem. Hashem wants to give good to, to the world. But Hashem created a system where our Torah and our mitzvot unlock the Shefa. In a sense, Kavyacha, Hashem is described as a nursing mother who wants to nurse. But she needs the child, and needs the baby to come and want to suffer. And what do Chazal say? More than the baby or more than the calf wants to nurse or wants to suckle, the mother wants to nurse. So, Kavyocho, I'm giving Hashem a bracha. What I'm doing is by doing the mitzvahs and by eating L'shem Shamayim and by eating to release the sparks of Kedusha, what am I doing? I'm giving Hashem the opportunity to bestow His goodness. So, I've given Hashem something. I've given Hashem the Yechaylas to be able to be mashpia on the world because otherwise Hashem Kavyachal is a prisoner. Now, of course, this is a self-imposed prison. Hashem could change the rules whenever he wants. I mean, that, that's a general idea. But the system that Hashem created is he depends on us, meaning his shefa, which he wants to give to the world, depends on our releasing it. And therefore, the bracha is the great release system. So that's a good question. But, but the question I'm raising is simply an analytical question, and that is, if a person stamaza just said a lokin, you know, without pronouncing it, so he only transgresses a negative, a positive commandment. He doesn't violate losisa. So if instead he says, blessed are you Hashem who made bread from the earth, that's going to be worse? One would think that should be better. I mean, because it's a, it's a praise. So, but be it as it may, the Rambam does have this curious dichotomy. Bracha levatala, is a transgression of lo sisa. Shem shamayim levatala is only a violation, it's a lesser violation. Eis Hashem elekecha tira, you should have reverence for Hashem, fear of Hashem, and that excludes uh, saying Hashem's name levatala. In both cases, l'chayre, it only applies 
to certain names of Hashem. It does not apply uh, to, uh, I mean, it doesn't apply to the word God. For example, I can say the word God. That's a shame chovah. In other words, the Isser of God's name in vain applies to Elohim, Hashem, Adnus, Aleph, Dalit, Nun, Yud, Sivakos, the Lord of hosts, Hashem, so we don't say uh, with an Aleph. Huh? No, we say Tzivakos because that's one of the names of Hashem uh, that has a sanctity. Uh, Kale, right? we don't say it's with Aleph. Well, it's like Tzivakos, like represent in like, like spirits or something. Well, uh, well Tzivakos really represents uh, his mastery over all of the powers of the Malachim. Right? That's how you say it by the Right, 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 right. Kadosh, 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 Hashem, Sivakos. Shakai. Shin Dalajud, we pronounce it Shakai. There's a total of seven names uh, that, that if you say them, you know, you transgress saying God's name in vain. But a shame chol, a shame chol, uh, in other words, a name in English or any other language other than the Hebrew names that uh, you're allowed to say, right? You are allowed to say. That's why we can say God. Uh, but when we, we're doing Hebrew, we say Hashem, the name, right, uh, etc. Okay, uh, all right. The Abish, right? The Abishter, you could say, right? Because all of those things, because that's that, that's not Nichlal in the Isser of taking Hashem's name in in vain. So with this, the postcom raises a very very interesting question. What is the halacha of uh, Suffolk? Let's say uh, a meeting, and all of a sudden, for some reason, I don't remember if I made a bracha or not. I don't remember. Or I'm uh, taking a lulav and an esrog, or I'm sitting in a sukkah, and all of a sudden it hits me, gee, did I say a bracha? Didn't I say a bracha? So when you have a safek, a doubt, what do you do with uh, brachos? So the general, right, the general rule is, uh, most of the time, there, there are two exceptions, I'll get to most of the time, if you're not sure if you said a bracha, so if you can hear it from somebody else, that's the best thing. But if you're not sure if you heard a bracha, you do not make it out of doubt. Because since the requirement to make brachos are midrabanan, when it's a suffix of the drabanan, it's better not to say the bracha because on the tzad that you did say the bracha, you're saying God's name in vain. In other words, in order to fulfill a rabbinic law, I shouldn't do something that may be a Torah violation. Right. Now, there are two exceptions. Uh, can anyone think of one exception? One exception maybe you should be able to, uh, to guess. Benching, benching, benching. Because remember, the brachos that you that's make... The the that's right, that's right. Uh, although for women, there'll be a question. I'll talk about that. Women are actually a little complicated. But for, but for men, it's... Yes, uh, yes. Remember, the bracha you make before food is rabbinic. And the bracha you make before a mitzvah is rabbinic. Even if the mitzvah is Torah, right? Sitting in the sukkah is Torah. But the mitzvah, I make, the bracha I make before sitting in the sukkah is rabbana. But there, are, there is one uh, brachos that is Torah, and that is benching, because the Torah says, v'yachalta v'savata uveirachta, you shall eat, you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Hashem. So generally speaking, if a person, but again, I'll talk about women, uh, if, uh, let's say a man first, if a man does not remember if he benched or did not bench, 
since it is a suffix of a mitzvah da oraisa, you got to be strict. Now, he has to do it again. Do it again. That's correct. That's a, do it again. Uh, so if I don't remember if I made hamotzi, I do not make hamotzi. But if I don't remember if I benched, I bench. Now, a few po- a few points here. In order to be chayev to bench the oraisa, you have to be totally satisfied. You have to be full. In other words, you have to have no desire to eat anymore. Because the Torah says, V'yachalta v'savata. Savata means full. Sometimes you finish eating, you're not really full. Now, rabbinically, if you just eat a kezayis of bread, a little piece of bread, that's enough. So if I only ate a kezayis of bread and I'm not full, my chiyav of benching is rabbinic. At that point, if I don't remember, I'm lenient. You see? In other words, it has to be a Doraisa benching, not a Rabbanan benching. If it's a Rabbanan benching, then it's the same as the bracha beforehand. Now, the other thing is, with women, there's a particular problem. And the particular problem with women, and this is actually an unresolved halacha. For sure, okay, bottom line is you have to bench. When you eat bread, you have to bench. No, no question. That's for sure. So I'm not going to give you a, a free pass on not benching. But there's a machlokas in the Gemara. Is your chiyav de oraisa, or is your chiyav de rabbanan? Now, why should oh, your chiyav de oraisa is because you ate, and you, you know it's not a time-bound positive commandment. So logically, de oraisa. What is the svara? What is the reason why it would be rabbinic? So we have an argument. The Gemara doesn't say why. The Gemara just gives you a machlokas. But we have an argument between Rashi and Tosvos why perhaps a woman is not obligated in benching on a Torah level. According to Rashi, it's because women did not get their own shares in the land of Eretz Yisrael. What do we mean by this? That uh, when the Jews came to Eretz Yisrael, Every male was given a share of land. A woman was not given a share of land unless she inherited it from her father, like, of course, the daughters of Salabcha. So if they had a father that would be entitled to the land and there were no sons, a woman would get land. But a woman would not get land in her own life, right? So, and since by benching, what does the Pasuk say? Viachalta, you should eat. Visavata, uh, you will be satisfied. Uveirachta, it's Hashem alokecha, and you will bless Hashem. But what are the next words? Al ha'aretz atova, asher nasan loch. Because of the land, the good land that He gave you. So there is a logic, there is an argument that since women did not have a chelak in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, they're excluded from benching, and that would make it rabbinic. That's what Rashi says. Tosos gives another reason. Tosos says there's a requirement in benching that we talk about brismila, circumcision, and we talk about the learning of Torah. That's why it says in benching in the second bracha, al brischa, shechasamta de al torascha, shalimadatanu. 
And since women do not have the <coughs> mitzvah of bris milah, and technically they actually don't have the mitzvah of, of learning Torah, they learn Torah because they need to know what to do and how to live, but there's no mitzvah for a woman to go to kolel and like learn uh, day and night, so uh, perhaps that would be a reason. Be it as it may, those are the focus Rashi and Tosvos, why women would be exempt, Dolraisa, from benching. But the bottom line is, whatever the reason is, you have a shaila. When you eat bread, even if you're full, you have a shaila. Is your chiyav rabbinic or is your chiyav Dolraisa? You're vadaichayev, but is it Dolraisa Rabbana? So, Mimela, you're going to have a shaila if you don't remember whether you bench. Do you apply the Dolraisa rule that you have to bench, or do you apply the rabbinic rule that you don't have to bench? So here, here there are different arguments. There are different ways it comes out. Halacha, Rabbi, the great Rabbi Kivager, actually Paskins, that if a woman is in doubt, she should not bench again, unlike a man, because a man is vaday da oraisa, a woman is a suffix, whether it's the oraisa or 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 drabanan. That's Rabbi Kivager's stuff. Other poskim do paskin differently. By the way, all of this reminds me a little bit of a, of a, an interesting story in the early years of Hasidus. It's actually a very cute story. In the early years of Hasidus, I think this was even before the Alter Rebbe, like the beginning of the Baal Shem Tov. So uh, the Misnagdim used to want to discredit the Hasidim by showing that the Hasidim didn't know halacha. So they used to have debates. They would raise shaylas to see if the Hasidim could answer the shayla. So uh, the shaylas that they would raise were all sorts of things. What if you don't remember if you did this or did that? You forgot this, you forgot that. And apparently the Hasidim didn't have good answers. So the Misnagdim said, oh, you see, you're ignorant of Torah. The Hasidim say, you know, we don't know this stuff because we don't forget if we did something. If we do a mitzvah, we remember it. I mean, uh, you know, why do I have to know? I mean, if a person is serving Hashem, what do you mean you forget if you bench, you forget if you said yalav v'yavo? He says, we don't know these halachas because in our Avaida, it's not shayach chesachatas. You know, our mind never goes away from it. That's actually a beautiful story if you think about it. So much of halacha is concerned with mistakes. Even kashras is that way, right? Even kashras. Uh, what happens if this falls into that, the milchik nefleshik? Okay, we have to know what to do with mistakes. But the truth is, if a person on, is on a very high madrega, they're always, shivisi Hashem lenegdi tamid. Hashem is in front of me every moment. You're not going to make mistakes. You're standing in front of the melech. So in some ways, one could give the chassidim almost an excuse that they didn't know all the laws of mess-ups, because they said, we don't mess up, so maybe we don't have to know. That's why they say, they say a, a good Rebetzin will never let her husband in the kitchen. Why is that? Because Rebetzin keeps everything well, a separate milk, a separate flesh, nothing gets mixed. The rabbi will wash everything, that's not 24 hours. The rabbi has all of the loopholes that, you know, hey, I do this, I do that, everything's gonna be okay. A lot of times it is okay, but it's not the proper way of doing things. There's a proper way of keeping separations. Uh, if you're living by all of the emergency rules of the Shulchan Aruch, like the emergency leniencies, you're not living on the highest level that you should be living. You should be living on a level where you don't make so many. I mean, again, I'm not, I don't mean to be hard on anybody. I mean, everyone makes mistakes. I make mistakes. You know, I mean, I don't mean to condemn you in any way. But you can understand that at the highest level, you know, you don't make these mistakes. You're conscientious about how Kaddish Baruch was. Yeah. Oh, sorry, it's a slight tangent, but I'm just yep. wondering if you're in the middle, I've always wondered if you're in the middle of a bracha, like, can you just self-correct or do it say Baruch Hashem? 
I'm sorry, if you do what? Middle, in the middle of a bracha. And what's the better? What, sorry, and you remember, like, and you remember you said it? No, no, no. I'm saying what if you, you realize in the, in the middle that you were saying the wrong bracha? Yes, yes, yes. All right. So, so it really depends. If you can correct yourself uh, in, in the middle and there's no break, just correct yourself. Uh, you only say Baruch if you already finished the bracha or whatever it could be. By the way, that's, um, I, sh I should mention that. Uh, that's an important point to remember. There is a way of fixing a bracha levatala, so to speak. Let's say I, I said the wrong bracha. Or let's say I just made a bracha without thinking about it. And, and there's not even food here. Um, or one could imagine the following. Uh, let's imagine this situation. In fact, this will be your case, actually. I have a, a cup of, of red drink, and I think it's wine. So I say, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech and then as I bring it to my lips, I see that it's pomegranate juice, which would be shakal. Right. So what do I do? So if, this is tochidei, is a very small amount of time. If within like a second or two, I see my mistake, I just change it to shakal miyabidvara, and then drink. If, however, more than a second passed, at that point, I said a blessing in vain. And when I said a blessing in vain, what I do recite afterwards is, Baruch Shem Kavod, Ed. Blessed is God's name forever. And then, of course, I make the right bracha, Shakol Miyabitvara. Okay, so in your case, what you also see Also, mid-a-bracha. Huh? Also, mid-a-bracha. I'm saying, yeah, exactly. Also, yeah. Like, after just not, even if you say, yeah, that's, like that, that's even better. That's even better. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, that's for sure. If I just said Baruch Atah Hashem or I said Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, then for sure I can, I can correct the, uh, the bracha. To no, be. if you're like Shakol. Yeah. And if not Shakol, like you start it, you can just literally, you can right it. from there, you don't have to start from the beginning, you just say the rest of the bracha. No, that's good. You should not start from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Then you'll be saying Hashem's name. Right. Yeah, that's good. You, you can correct it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's Baruch Shem. Baruch Shem is the, considered to be the Tikkun for Bracha Levatala. Um, okay. So now, though, the question is this. The question that's interesting is the following. Let's say I don't know if I made hamotzi, or I don't know if I made shahakot. So the halacha is very clear, and men and women are the same on this one, that I don't say the bracha, which means it's a strange feeling. I keep on eating. I don't have to stop eating. I keep on eating bread and I drinking, and uh, even though I don't know if I made a bracha, the halacha says you're exempt because you don't know. But what about this? Maybe there's a way out of this dilemma. Let me say the bracha in English. Because like this, can you make a bracha in English generally or in other languages that other than Hebrew? The answer is you can. If I don't know how to read Hebrew, I can just stop, I can make a bracha. Blessed aren't you, uh, God, the king of the universe, uh, who has brought bread from the ground. And I can eat the bread. A bracha, an invention, is kosher in all languages. But if the isser of taking God's name in vain is only in Hebrew, oh my God. then in every case of suffolk, we ought to tell the person, even if you read Hebrew, well, you can't make the bracha in Hebrew because maybe you're taking God's name in vain if you already made it, but make it in English. That way you've covered your bases. Because if you didn't make the bracha, this is a good bracha, because the bracha could be made in English. And if you made the bracha, you're doing nothing wrong. 
because there's no issue of taking God's name in vain when you recite it in English. In other words, this L'chairah would be a very excellent solution for somebody who doesn't remember if they said a, a bracha. So the Orach HaShochan, one of the great uh, poskim of the uh, 19th century, by the way, he was not a chassid, but he actually got his smicha from the Tzamech Tzedek. Tzamech Tzedek uh, gave him all of his tests to be, uh, to be a posseg. And uh, the Orach HaShochan paskins that if a person is in doubt whether they recited a bracha, they should make a bracha in their language, not in Hebrew. And that way, you see, you see why this is a good solution? Because if you didn't make the bracha, you've made a bracha in English, which is good, or whatever language. And if you did make the bracha, you're doing nothing wrong because it's not a blessing in vain, because the answer of blessing in vain is only in the seven names of God in Hebrew. So the Maisa, the Archa Shulchan says there's such a, uh, an Eitza, and the Ben Yishchai. I don't know if you've heard, heard of Ben Yishchai, a person you should uh, hear about. Uh, if you're Sephardi, is anyone, I don't know if anyone's Sephardi, but uh, the Ben Yishchai, uh, who died at the beginning of the 1900s. The Ben Ishchai was the great, great, great Makubal uh, of Svardim, great Makubal and Posek of, of, of Svardim. And uh, he's considered almost to be uh, the greatest of the Svardic in recent, of, of, in the last century, the greatest of the Poskim. So they, uh, everyone, every Svardi relies on the Ben Ishchai a lot. And the Ben Ishchai also says such an Eitza. On the other hand, other Poskim say a no because they actually take the position that the Yisra of a blessing in vain is even in other languages, which is a big, big Kiddush, a big, big Chumrah. Even though, even though I can say God, I can say the name of Hashem in English, but once it's in a bracha, you apply the rules of bracha levatama. And then that's a very big Chumrah, and I don't know if it's that logical, uh, but Rav Moshe Feinstein says that uh, as well. Uh, and therefore, the, the bottom line halacha is that if you're in doubt about brachos other than benching, you do not recite uh, the brachos again. So now let me just raise a few interesting questions about brachol of Atala. I'm going to mention three related questions. It's all the same type of question, you'll see. Question one, it's a fast day. Tisha B'Av, uh, et cetera. Not Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur will be a little different, you'll see. And I forgot that it's a fast day, and I make myself a cup of coffee, and I make the bracha, Baruch HaTashem Elokeinu Melech Olam, Shehakol Niya Bidvaro. And before I drink the coffee, all of a sudden I remember, Ayvei, it's a fasting. So what am I supposed to do if I drink the coffee, I'm breaking the fast? If I don't drink the, drink the coffee, I recited a bracha levatala. So what's better to do? Is it better to keep the fast and have a bracha levatala and you say baruch shem kvod malchuso? Or is it better to take a little bit so the bracha is not, is not levatala? So the poskim lemaisa say, if it's not Yom Kippur, if it's not Yom Kippur, you should actually take a tiny little sip, smallest little sip that you can, not a whole cup, right? just a little sip, so that's enough for the bracha, and then you resume your fast. That's what you do. On Yom Kippur, which is a Torah fast, at that point you have to not take it at all, and you say Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuso Leolam I guess it probably feels bad 
to do an, a brachal of a tumma on Yom Kippur, but, but uh, whatever, nevertheless, uh, to eat on Yom Kippur even a little bit would be a bigger avera than even bracha levatala. Now, I'll give you two more examples, which is really the same principle, same principle, milchiks and fleshiks, right? Let's assume that your minogets, that you wait, like, you know, most uh, Ashkenazi certainly, we wait six hours, right? I have meat, so I don't have milchiks for six hours. And, you know, now, of course, as you know, you probably had in other classes, uh, what six hours is itself is a big machlokas. Some say it's five and a half hours, some say entering the sixth hour, meaning even five hours and one minute. Different opinions. Uh, Yekis have three hours. German Jews have three hours. Uh, uh, Dutch Jews uh, have uh, one hour. Right? Different, different things like that. Uh, so they're different opinions. But whatever it is, let's imagine that within your waiting period, you forgot that you were fleshing. And you, again, made your cup of coffee with milk. And you made shahakon. It's the same problem, right? In other words, uh, once again, it's the same issue as the kindness. Uh, if I eat, uh, I'm transgressing uh, milk and meat. If I don't eat, I have a blessing in vain. So here, too, we apply the same halacha that take a little bit. And, and, here be, and the reason is because although the issue of meat and milk is a Torah law, but the waiting periods are not Torah law. So you understand that. Under Torah law, you don't have to wait at all. In fact, under Torah law, I could have a glass of milk with my hamburger. The only thing the Torah prohibits is you don't cook the milk and the meat together. In other words, the Torah doesn't require six hours. The Torah doesn't require three hours. The Torah doesn't require one hour. The Torah says I can have milk with my meat and I can have ice cream, milk like ice cream for my dessert as long as I don't cook the milk and the meat together. Like a cheeseburger might be a total violation. So since, if you're violating your waiting period, the worst you're doing is a rabbinic law, so better to do a teeny little violation of the rabbinic law in order that the blessing should not be in vain. So again, it's the same principle. Uh, by a tinus, you take a tiny little sip. By the milchiks, with inflations, you take a tiny little sip. And then I'll give you a final example. It's the same type of problem. Habdallah. And here, let me go over the halachas a little bit because people are a little confused. There are laws that you're not allowed to eat before Kiddush and you're not allowed to eat before Havdalah. <coughs> right? When Shabbos begins and when Shabbos ends. So let's, let's be sure we just we know what the basic laws are. That's uh, the right No, that's Rabban. For sure it's Rabban. Yeah, that, that's why we'll have the same leniency. Uh, but just to be sure we understand this. Uh, on sh Friday night, when Shabbos begins, when are you not allowed to eat before Kiddush? From Shkia, that's right. As soon as the sun sets, you, you meaning all of us, we are not allowed to eat until we hear Kiddush. And this is very strong. This is not only uh, eating, uh, even drinking, and even water. You're not even allowed to have water before Kiddush. Now, now if, you're, if you're sick, if you're weak, you know, that's a different story, but a generally healthy person. Now, I remember... Some Hasidim, I don't think it's Chabad Minat, but some Hasidim do not make Kiddush between 6 and 7 p.m. Did you ever hear such a Minat? Yeah, no, but it's on the Chabad has Minat? Yeah, yeah. Chabad too? Okay. Because that's the time the Mazel, the constellation that, that, that is in their heaven, is Madim. Madim is Mars, the red planet. So I remember I used to, when I, I, I was a law student in Boston, 
I used to spend a lot of Shabbos with the bus and the Rebbe. He hadn't, I mean, not me as a private guest, but he had you know, many, many uh, students. So I remember there was a mad rush. It always took a long time before he made Kiddush. But if, if, if Myriv was over, let's say, 10 to 6, people would rush because they wanted to get that Kiddush in before 6. Because once it's 6, we have to wait a whole hour. And there were a lot of times we had to wait a whole hour because we just couldn't get the Kiddush on time. Yeah. If I um, light Shabbos candles and it's still not, let's say I take in Shabbos early, yeah, or yeah. even if I light Shabbos candles and it's not shkia, it's not dark yet, I can yeah. still eat? No, uh, so that, 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 that's, a very, that's a very good question. Uh, if you were Makabel Shabbos, uh, lighting candles, or and then the other way, uh, early, so that's when your Isra starts. So your Isra will start from that. And this is even water, okay? Now, Havdalah is a little different. Havdalah is the same rule, essentially, that once it's Shkia, once it's Shkia, you're not allowed to eat or drink until Havdalah, but there's one big difference. Uh, yeah, well, one difference is you're allowed to have water. You are allowed to have water before Havdalah. It's interesting. The Chachamim were not as strict for Havdalah as they were for Kiddush. The other big difference is if you washed for bread for Sudash Shalishit and you began the Sudash Shalishis before Shkia, you can continue eating hours into the night. In other words, the rule that once it's Shkia, I'm not allowed to eat until I hear Abdullah is only if I didn't start a bread meal. Now, it has to be a bread meal. Uh, if I was simply eating cake or fruit and Shkia comes, I do have to stop. Here I also know, uh, at least I, I, uh, that many, many Chabad I minhagim do not uh, wash on bread uh, for Sudash Shalishit. So if you follow that particular minhag of not washing on bread, then you do have to stop by Shkia. If, on the other hand, you wash for bread, uh, then you can continue eating until you finish. All opinions say that before Havdalah you could have water? Yes, 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 that, 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 that is the case. So now, uh, again, so in terms of Brachal of Atala, it's the identical problem. Let's say I come home from Shul, let's say either Friday night uh, before Kiddush, or Moshe Shabbos before Abdallah, and I make a bracha. I, you know, I, I, I forgot that, I, that no, I'm not allowed to eat. I make a brach on an apple, borei priyo eats. Same problem. Uh, if I eat, I'm violating this halacha. Uh, if I don't eat, it's a brach levatala. So again, since all of these restrictions are rabbinic, they yield in order to avoid brach levatala, so you take a little bit of, of food. Okay? So these are the three cases that are really identical. You made a bracha on a fast day. You made a bracha on milchiks when you're within your waiting period. You made a bracha before Kiddush and, uh, or Havdalah. So in such a situation, you take a bare minimum in order that the bracha is not in vain, but then you don't eat anything more than that. Now, in the case of Havdalah, I think you do have an Eitzah. If I have a cup of coffee and I made a shahakol, I should try to substitute it for a glass of water. Switch it that, that, that way. With Kiddush, that wouldn't make a difference because even the water is equally equally forbidden. In fact, this idea that you can have water before Abdullah even applies to Yom Kippur. I'll tell you, a fascinating, uh, it looks so strange that uh, it was Yom Kippur and uh, Ne'ilah was going long. Ne'ilah was going very, very long. And uh, there was a man that was very faint. So the Rav told him, 
you can drink water in the middle of Ne'ilah once it's Tzitzah uh, Because Yom Kippur is over. The only reason you can't eat is because of Havdalah. But Havdalah permits you to have water. In other words, Yom Kippur is no different than any time that you have to make Havdalah. Meaning, it's not that the fast of Yom Kippur keeps on going. It's simply, even when Yom Kippur is over, you can't eat until you make Havdalah. And therefore, you would be allowed to have water even on Yom Kippur before, before Havdalah. And that's an interesting finish. By the same token, it would appear, by that logic, you could put on your shoes. If your feet are hurting because of the sneakers, uh, you'd be allowed to switch to leather shoes in the middle of the evening because right. that's a Yom Kippur rule. That's not an Abdullah thing. Say again? Oh, oh, no. And even without Abdullah, that's what I'm saying, even without Abdullah, because Yom Kippur is over, but you got to make Abdullah. So we just have the Abdullah rules that says I'm not allowed to eat or drink until Abdullah, and that does not apply uh, to, uh, to water. Okay? Right? So that's uh, kind of what you need to know a little bit about a uh, brachal of Atala. What if, yeah. I don't know how it's going to be, but what if it's the second day of Yom Kippur and you find the day of Shachianu after Kamalai? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Second day of Yom Kippur and it puts Laris, yeah? Oh, no, or it's like the Oh, it's true. Yeah. If you buy the steak Shachianu and... No, what if you... No, one second, one second. And, uh, the first day is always Shachianu. Yeah, yeah, the first day of Yom Kippur... Well, I'm not sure what your, what your, what your case is. Uh, remember that uh, in Eretz Israel, we make Shachianu at Kiddush and at candle lighting, only the first day, not the second day. In Chutzlars, we make it the both first days. Two days. First two days. Oh, yeah. I know it is. The last yeah. day of Pesach. Last day of Pesach, we don't make Shachianu. Oh, right, 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 right. right. That's correct. On the seventh day of Pesach, we do not make a Shachianu. Yeah. So your question is what? If you did make a Shachianu? So you'd have to say Baruch Shein. Or she like Gohan Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you, if you have something new, you can do that, yeah. Should I go visit? Yeah, yeah, that would be a... I mean, it'll probably take a while. I mean, it may be a hepsic already, so it may not work. But if you have something right there, uh, that's a good idea. Yeah, uh, this, this halacha, by the way, is an important halacha to remember. I'm, I'm sure you know it. That is, uh, although you make a shechianu on the eighth day of Sukkot, because that's a new holiday, Shemini Yatseres, you do not make a shechianu on the seventh day of Pesach, because it is not a separate yomto at all. By the way, another little thing to keep in mind, um, the minog of most uh, people, chasidim and non-chasidim, is that on yomtev, you make a shechiyonu in candle lighting. Because when you light the neiros, you make two brachos. Lahadlik ner shel yomtov. And because it's a holiday, you make a shechiyonu on it. In addition... The person who makes Kiddush will say a Shechianu in the Kiddush. So there are two Shechianus, but, but you only recite one of them. Meaning, if you recited the Shechianu in uh, candlelighting, you will not recite the Shechianu in Kiddush. You can say Amen to it, but you don't recite Shechianu. This would be important, I think. I, I mean, again, most of the time, if you're a married woman or you're a guest in somebody's home, it's not a problem. But this might be something that a... Uh, a single woman or a widowed woman or a divorced woman who makes her own kiddush needs to keep in mind. Because if she lit candles and she made shechianu, and then she reads the sitter and has kiddush, and the kiddush has shechianu, it's very likely, just following the machzor, she's going to make shechianu twice. And the second time she makes it is a brachal of atala. What, like on Pesach? Yeah, let's take Pesach. Uh, 
If you made shechiyah, let's say you lit candles, and you made shechiyah. And I'm going to say, Bob, say my kiddush. So by kiddush, it's a bracha levatalas. I say bracha shemperlosa. That's correct. It doesn't take away from the bracha levatalas, does it? Well, well it's, it's, it's considered it to be a tshuva. It, it doesn't fully, uh, it, it's more of a tshuva. It doesn't take away, but it's a tshuva for it, because you're asking Hashem's forgiveness mm-hmm. by blessing his name. Uh, and I'll tell you another place where this mistake is made, Yom Kippur. Uh, Yom Kippur, we also recited Shechiyah. Now the question is, there's no Kiddush on Yom Kippur, right? So, do you remember? So, how do, where do we, where in davening do we recite a Shechiyanu for the gift of Yom Kippur? So, after Kal Nidre, right? You go to, you go to Shul Yom Kippur night, and we recite the annulment of the vows, and then afterwards the whole congregation says Shechiyanu. It's interesting, Shechiyanu, Yom Kippur is a happy day. Don't forget that. Yom Kippur is a happy day. You only say Shechiyanu on happy occasions. What's so happy about Yom Kippur? You've got to fast. Uh, you, you have to be in show all day. No, there's nothing, nothing as happy as Hashem forgiving Avelos and wiping away our, 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 our sins and, and our filth. The great Simcha, Chazal say, Yom Kippur was the happy, Yom Kippur and Tubiyah were the happiest days of the year. You make a Shechiyah But I want to point out that I think that a lot of women make a mistake here because women lit candles and they said Shechiyah and they come to show and just follow along with the seaboard and, and say No, you only make one Shechiyah for Yom Kippur. So if you did it at lit benching, you do not do it in show. I'm surprised. I think the Machshir should say that. Uh, I don't think they do, uh, but I think it's an important instruction. Because again, you're making a Shechiyanu because of the joy of the holiday. There's only one brother that you make. You don't make multiple Shechiyanus. Unlike Sukkot. Sukkot is an example where you actually have two Shechiyanus. The Shechiyanu in Kiddush or Lich benching is because of the holiday. When you take Lulav and Esrog for the first time, you make a Shechiyanu on a special mitzvah, Lulav and Esrog. So that would be an example where you actually have two different Shechianus, one for the Yom Tov and one for the Mitzvah. But for Yom Kippur or for a regular Chag, there's only one Shechianu. In fact, a whole lot of conscious, let's say Pesach, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, you, once you start thinking about Shechianus, you can go crazy. Uh, I make a Shechianu for the Mitzvah of Lulav and Esra. I make a Shechianu for uh, the Mitzvah of Shofar, when the Shofar is born, Shechianu. How come I don't make a shechianu for eating matzah? Right, from a matzah, I make hamotzi, and I make alachilas uh, matzah. Yeah, but that's on the yantav, you see. In other words, just like, for example, on sukkahs, but some would say, you can't make a shechianu on matzah because, yeah, it's a mitzvah, but eating is something you do the whole year. Meaning, you make a shechianu on an unusual, special thing, now, the, the maisa of eating is not an unusual thing. You know, it, it doesn't stand out. If it doesn't stand out, you can't make a shechiyana. I can make a shechiyana for lula vesro, I can make a shechiyana for shofar, uh, but you can't make shechiyana on things that don't stand out as something that is different than the norm. And even if you don't eat masa during the year, you could eat masa during the year. Huh? So new fruits. So the difference would be that uh, the new, the new, even though you can't tell by looking at it, but the newness of the fruit creates a feeling of joy in a person. 
that's a little different. Uh, the matzah, you know, same matzah, you know, same matzah all year. Might be old matzah, <laughs> etc. Yeah. By the way, some people say uh, today you don't make shechianu on new fruits at all. Some people have that minag because they say that uh, actually, at least in the, at least in big cities in America, I think Israel is a little different still. Uh, but in a city like New York, uh, there's no such thing as a fruit that is out of season. You get fruits the whole year. You can get, you can get any fruit the whole year because they will get it from every, uh, every country in the world. So what's the shechianu? There's no natural... Yeah, New York State has natural seasons like anything else, but you're not limited to New York State, uh, right? And now in Eretz Israel, I think we are still a little more seasonal. I think, uh, you know, there are times you will not get fruits. Uh, you know, or vegetables even. Okay. Alrighty. Um, yeah, let me mention, since I mentioned Havdalah, let me mention one uh, other halacha of Havdalah that's a little less familiar and a little complicated to explain why. And that is, let's compare, again, Kiddush and Havdalah for a moment. Um, if I made Kiddush for myself, or I heard Kiddush for myself, in Shul, whatever, can I make it again for my wife? For sure I can. And not only for my wife, if after I make Kiddush for my wife, a guest shows up, I can make Kiddush for them again. And if afterwards another guest shows up, I can make Kiddush, and I can ask them to make it if they want, but I could make it again and again and again and Unless again. Unless you heard it. No, even if I even oh. if I heard it. Even if I heard it. And even if I was Yotze, even if I was Yotze, I had wine and everything. And that's not called a blessing in vain. That is not called a blessing in vain, even though I'm Yotze already. And the reason is a very important and beautiful reason. Because of the concept of call Yisrael a raven zelazeth. What does that phrase mean? Every Jew is responsible for every other Jew. That means if there's a single Yid in the world who didn't hear Kiddush, I have not fulfilled my obligation. It's not just he hasn't done his obligation. I have not done my obligation. So I can do it again and again and again and again. It's not a brachal of Atala. Call Yisrael a raven zelazeth. Oh, so Havdalah is a little tricky. Uh, in terms of Kiddush, we do it again and again and again for either a man or a woman. Because men and women are equal in Kiddush. When it comes to Havdalah, we do have a difficult technicality a little bit. And the difficult technicality is that a man who was Yotze Havdalah, Yotze, not if they made it in Shul and I didn't have Kavana to be Yotze, not, no problem. But if I was Yotze with Havdalah, let's assume I thought my wife was going to hear it at a neighbor's. And therefore I was Yotze in Shul. And I come home and my wife didn't hear Havdalah, she has to make it herself. I, I cannot say it for her once I was Yotze. The, the, the problem is, the reason is this, the reason is because there is a machlokas if women have a chiyot to hear Abdullah. So they should be machmer on themselves to say it, but for the man to say it for them when he was already yotze is a shayla of a blessing in vain for her, for him, if she doesn't have the obligation. You could hear it in shul and not be yotze. Absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's typically the case. 
I mean, typically, let's say, uh, I'll give my example. I mean, I'm in shul. Uh, I'm still there when they say Havdalah. Right. But I know I'm going to make it at home. So my kavana is not to be yotze. So I go home and I make Havdalah. That's absolutely no problem, and that's what everybody does. Let's say does. you're the one making it and she'll, are you the ah, one making it at home? Ah, so that, that, that's very excellent. So that's an interesting question. If I'm the one that's making it, so here's the important point. I would have to have intention that I'm doing it for everybody else, but I'm not doing it for me. And if I have that intention, I can make it for my wife when I get home. Uh, but if I did not have that intention, I cannot make it for my wife. Now, if there's other men, or even bar mitzvah boys, I could do it for them, and then my wife could be covered. But I couldn't make it for doctor for my wife. Which would mean, in some cases, a woman uh, would have to make Havdalah herself, which anyway, if she's widowed or divorced, she'd have to. And here I just want to dispel a, uh, a little bit of a superstition almost. I'm sure you've heard that a woman is not allowed to drink from the Havdalah wine. And that is brought down. A woman should not drink from the Abdullah wine. Although the other thing they say is, is not brought down, that uh, if she drinks from the Abdullah wine, she'll get a beard. That already is a uh, uh, that's not true? That, that's not true. But, uh, but it says a woman should not drink from the Abdullah wine. But let me point out, that is only if there's somebody who made Abdullah for her, like a husband or whatever. If she makes Abdullah for she herself, Absolutely, she should not only can she drink the wine, she must drink some of the wine. So there's no issue. People think it's like prohibited. If if the woman makes havdalah, she must drink the havdalah wine. The whole shot, the minute of a woman not drinking is only when somebody else makes havdalah for her. Then then the minute the minute is it's not. I wouldn't I wouldn't even call it forbidden. But the minute is that a woman does not drink from the wine of Havdalah, even though she will drink from the wine of Kiddush. Yeah. So I'm just a little confused. How come Kol Yisrael doesn't apply to Yeah, so the reason is the following. The reason is, it's complicated, because Kol Yisrael Araven applies when the other person clearly has an obligation. But some posts can say women don't have an obligation for Havdalah. So if a woman doesn't have an obligation, that I can't be responsible to make sure that she keeps her obligation. Right? So she can do it, because she can be machmer, but that, but that doesn't give me a hedger to do it again. Right? So that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the difference. Um, a final aspect of bracha I want to mention, then I'll go briefly to another topic, uh, is a very, very fascinating machlokus, which actually implicated Chabad in a bit of a uh, catfight, <laughs> a little bit. And that is... Um, the status of brachos for women on mitzvot that they're exempt from, that they want to do. Like we know, let, let's go over this again. We know the famous rule that time-bound mitzvos that uh, are limited, right, mitzvos say positive mitzvos that are limited in time, women are exempt from. Now, what are, many exceptions, but what are the things that women are exempt from? They don't put on tefillin because tefillin are time-bound because they don't wear it on Shabbos. They don't uh, wear tzitzis because tzitzis are not worn at night. They don't take lulav and esro, meaning they're not obligated. Not obligated because it's time-bound to sukkahs. Uh, they don't have to sit in a sukkah because it's time-bound. Now, there are many, many exceptions. They eat matzah, dalit posos. There are many exceptions. But shofar is not an exception. Women are exempt from shofar. So 
knowing there are many exceptions, what are the ones that they are exempt from? Tefillin, Tzitzis, Sukkah, Lulav and Esro, and Shofar. Women are exempt. Now, what's a little strange is, for some of these mitzvahs, women are exempt, but they're encouraged to do them, and they get reward in Shemayim for doing them. Such as Shofar, Sukkah, Lulav and Esra. Women are exempt, but you're encouraged to do it, and Hashem rewards you. For the other in the group, women are actually told not to do it. Sitzes and Tzfilin. One very excellent question to ponder is, well, wait a second here. The reason why a woman is exempt from Tzfilin is the identical reason why a woman is exempt from Sukkah. You're exempt from Sukkah because it's time-bound. You're exempt from Tzfilin because it's time-bound. If that's the case, then why do we tell a woman you're not allowed to wear tefillin, but we tell a woman it's a good thing for you to go to the sukkah? I mean, the exemption is the same exemption. It's a good, it's a very, it's a very good question. It's not, it's not just a simple, it's not such a simple answer. Why can't a woman put on tefillin the same way a woman could take lulav and etzra? Some want to say that since the Torah prohibits women to wear male clothing, and vice versa, too. So some want to say that a woman wearing tefillin would be wearing the garment of a man or talent. Some want to bring that in based on the Targum Yainasan. That might be one possible reason. Okay. But putting aside tefillin and sitis, which is a special thing women don't do, let's look at the ones women are encouraged to do. Sukkah, Lula Vesro, and to hear the Shofar in Rosh Hashanah. So here's the question. If a woman decides that she wants to take Lulav and Esra, which is encouraged, it's encouraged. Does she make a bracha, or does she not make a bracha? Ah, so this is a big, big, big machlokas. The Rambam says, the Rambam says, a woman who voluntarily does a mitzvah that she is exempt from, even though she gets reward, the Rambam's opinion is she does not make a bracha. It's a blessing in vain because how can she say the words asher kiddishanu the mitzvosah. That means Hashem sanctified us with his commandments vitzivanu and commanded us. Hashem didn't command you. You're doing it as an optional basis. So the she does not have to shake all of the That's correct. Even on the first day of Sukkot. That's correct. Again, let, let me repeat. You don't have to say a on the first day. Well, what's what, 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 It depends what you're asking me. Do you, does a woman have to take a lula benenesra? The answer is no. A woman is exempt from lula benenesra. When we do say, and we also care to women, I'm doing what you're No, no, no one, one second. Well, first of all, again, I mean, you're getting ahead of me because obviously you're following Ashkenazic men, and Ashkenazic do make a brother. I'll get to it. All right, let me start with the Ashkenazic first, I guess, because it's, it's apparently more familiar to you, so I'll start with that. Okay, Ashkenazim say like this. Ashkenazim say, and this is Hasidim and not Hasidim. So that makes no difference. Chabad will follow uh, the Ashkenazi Minag. That even though a woman is exempt, once she does the mitzvah, not only does she do the mitzvah, but
but she makes a bracha. She does make a bracha. That's what you've experienced, and that is correct. Uh, you make the bracha, asher kiddushanu b'mitzvot every day of Sukkot, and if it's the first day, you also make a shechiyon. Right? This is what you've seen, this is what you've experienced, this is 100% uh, good for Ashkenazim. This is based on the opinion of Rabbeinu Tam, who is Rashi's grandson, and this is codified by the Ramah, who is the main codifier of Ashkenazic practices, and the Alter Rebbe in the, in the Shulchan Aruch follows the Shita of the Ramah, and that's what you've always seen. I just want to point out that Svardim follow the opinion of Rav Yosef Karo in the Shulchan Aruch, who follows the opinion of the Rambam, and this is, maybe you're unfamiliar with it, this is a very different opinion, and that is, they take the opinion that if a woman is voluntarily doing a mitzvah that she is not commanded to do, she can do the mitzvah, she can do it, but she does not recite a bracha. It would be a bracha in vain. So according to Svardim, they would not recite the bracha. Now, what has happened though was, over the years, many Sephardic girls uh, learned in Ashkenazi Beis Yaakov's. And when they learned in Ashkenazi Beis Yaakov's, they only learned the first opinion of the halacha. They did not learn the second opinion. In other words, and as a result, many Sephardi girls were following Ashkenazi halacha. And, I guess, I guess. And, Rabbi Yosef even blames Chabad. Chabad gets like a lightning rod because he says Chabad opened up so many centers in North Africa, Morocco, Tunisia. So they were Spartan. But Chabad taught them Ashkenazic halacha and uh, therefore that's why they were following Ashkenazic halacha. Okay, the Moroccan rabbis were very offended by this because uh, that, that implied they were only following Chabad. The Moroccan rabbis said this was their own stock as well, but be aware of this machlokas that, um, or at least talk to a Sephardic rub about it, that if you are uh, a Sephardi and you're taking the rule of an Inesro, it may be that you should not recite uh, the brachos before you do it. Okay, but as they say, the typical mitzah that Chabad is doing is you know, primarily Ashkenazic uh, people, so it is proper for women to make, uh, make those brachos as well. And like anything else, if a Sephardi woman married an Ashkenazi, so she would follow the customs of her husband with respect to that. Okay? Uh, any, any questions about uh, that, uh, that issue of mitzvah saseh, shazman Rama. Okay. Uh, now, uh, let me talk about something else, which is, well, actually, there's a tiny, a teensy-weensy little bit of connection to what I just talked about, but I'll, uh, I talked about a woman wearing tefillin, would be wearing a man's garment. Uh, let me talk a little bit about uh, one particular machlokas about transgender. The reason why uh, uh, this is even on my mind, why is it on my mind? Uh, just this last Monday, I had to speak about uh, some of the halachic issues of transgender, I guess. For this class, I'll have to hold it over to another semester. Uh, but I'll just uh, mention one interesting halachic issue. Um, I don't know if you follow this, and you know, I mean, maybe it's not worth your time or your energy to follow. But the rise of transgenderism, where uh, girls want to be boys, boys want to be girls, particularly girls wanting to be boys, 
has risen, risen very, very much. And uh, some psychologists have even identified this as called rapid, rapid onset gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is simply the term of a person who wants to be another gender. And all of a sudden, high school girls are like catching this like the cold. Uh, their friends are doing it, like everybody's doing it. It's like the in thing to do. They have Facebook groups, and all of a sudden, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a sickness. Uh, people who never had any particular desire for this, they want to do it. And what is kind of criminal is that a lot of the psychiatric community buys into it right away. Oh, you want to do it? Well, the parents, you know, we have to accommodate you. We have to let you do it. Otherwise, you're oppressing your child and, and the like. Now, this has all sorts of pathologies. Again, and, and again, I mean, kids who are struggling with this, I have Rahman not I don't mean to be cruel to people who are struggling. But, but there's all sorts of pathologies. Some are only involved in cross-dressing. Some are involved in, uh, you know, tomboy behavior, the things that always existed. But some are really doing hormonal changes. Some are doing surgery. Some are really going through changes. So let me raise uh, very, very briefly two halachic questions, just pure halachic questions. Question number one, is a person allowed to have a sex change operation? Am I allowed to go through a procedure that changes me from a boy to a girl or a man to a woman, whatever the age is, or from a woman uh, to a man? So here, basically, the halakha does not allow such an operation for a very simple reason. One of the prohibitions in the Torah is you're not allowed to sterilize either people or animals. In fact, even a pet, even spaying, I think we talked about this, even spaying a dog is a very serious halakhic problem. In fact, I would advise any of you that are thinking of buying a dog, buy an animal that's already been neutered. Because once you have a dog, uh, there are all sorts of, or a cat, there are many, many shilas about how you do it. You have to sell it to a guy. You know, it, it's a little complicated. So it is good to have a neutered pet, but you should, admit, you should not be the one that brings it in to be neutered. Now, if you can't neuter an animal, tell the chomer, you cannot sterilize or neuter a human being. And unfortunately, one of the byproducts of every sex change with the hormonal blockers and everything else is that the person becomes uh, sterile, both as a man and as a woman. I mean, uh, the boy who turns into a girl certainly cannot carry a baby and is also not going to be capable of having children as a man. That's why you need to know that these laws about sterilization are very strict. Even when halacha permits birth control, it does not permit tubal ligation, tying the tubes. It does not permit uh, vasectomy on a man because that is sterilization. You can take pills or whatever it is, but you cannot do a surgical sterilization of reproductive organs. Even though it's reversible, yeah. Yeah, that's correct, that's correct, that's correct. Because you would need another surgery. Yeah, it's not like a pill which is, it wears away automatically. So that's the first thing about uh, the sex change operation. But the second question might even be more interesting. Does halacha recognize bidievet a gender change. Meaning, okay, the boy like went, the that's correct, the boy went into a, the boy or the man, whatever age it is, uh, changed himself into a woman. 
okay, he's not, he wasn't allowed to do that. That's fine. There was an Aveira, okay. But what is he, halakhically? Is he a man, even yeah. though he looks like a woman? Or is he a woman? Does he still count for a minion? What side of the machitza, if he wants to daven and show? Even though he's wearing a dress. What side of the machitza does he daven in? If he was married as a man, this is happening, and is now a woman, does his wife need a get? Or is there no marriage anymore because her husband is a woman? So here, you need to know, the majority of poskim actually say you cannot change your gender by surgery or medicine. Meaning, a person who was born a man is halachically a man even after the surgery. And a woman who was born a woman is halachically a woman even after the surgery. So the man who became a woman still counts for a minion. The man who became a woman, assuming he becomes a Baltruber or something, still wears fillin. The man who becomes a woman, somehow with Davin on the men's side, I mean, it's a real mess if this would happen, but with Davin on the men's side of the machitza, and the man who becomes a woman is still married to his wife, and she would need a get, and he or she, she cannot, cannot, no, well, she no, his wife, would, yes, if a man becomes a woman, yeah, the man who becomes a woman is still married, still married to his to wife. And does not need a get. No, he would have to give his wife a get. If his wife, for his wife to remarry, yeah, he's still married, so he would need a get. What if they just want to stay married? Okay, uh, they could stay married if they want to. Two women, though, it looks like two women, but uh, logically, they could stay married. It's like if somebody in my who's like that and... And they want to stay married? And they're married, and they're grown. That's pretty unusual, but they, they could. But what I'm saying is, I, I'm assuming the normal but case. he, they, whatever, okay, yeah. um, is in the woman's section. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not following the scenario. Is it, tell me the scenario. What happened to you? Had a, a man, man and a woman originally. A man became a woman. Yes. And he, remain, he remains married to his wife. To his wife. And they both daven in the woman's section. And they both daven in the woman's section. Wow. Wow. Amazing. And they're Shomer Mitzvah. Wow. Well, uh, the kids that come from preschool and everything. Yes. Okay. That's amazing. Yes. That's an amazing case. So you're correct. They would not need to get in that case. But what I'm saying is, in the normal case. Oh, it's a case, problem that he's in the What I'm saying is, is yes, like that, right? yes, yes. My parenting is a problem. There is a problem, but uh, yeah, there is a problem. Yeah. But he's not really able to, like, he kind of sits in a certain situation. What section. he should do is, what he should do is, he should, although it's uncomfortable for him, he or she, should dress as a man when he comes to show, and then sit with the man. And then at home he could wear his women's clothing. It's very, very difficult. It's very uncomfortable because he, he doesn't shake, he rather doesn't want to shake his hand. Wow, wow, wow. This is so, it's very unusual. I, I mean, I, I have not heard of a case where they stayed married and they remained religious. That's kind of a double, uh, this is in New York, where is it? In Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Wow. There, is, there is something like that in Cromwell's too. There's yeah. something similar. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, um, now there is an exception. There's one view that goes the other way. And this one view, I, I've mentioned this post before, that Sitz Eliezer, Rabbi Waldenberg. Rabbi Waldenberg actually postins 
that once the genitals have been replaced and uh, removed, etc., halacha recognizes a new gender. Really? So according to according to Rav Waldenberg, he's only one opinion. The man who becomes a woman is now a woman, which means his wife wouldn't need a get because they're not because they're not married. Uh, and uh, so actually, that means the man could be in the, <laughs> the woman's side. So be the other, it's okay. Or it would be. Well, it would be well, Rav Waldenberg doesn't say you're allowed to do it, but he would say that the, the, the halacha recognizes yeah. the change after the fact. But he's an, he, you know he's a das yachid. Uh, He's an individual view, and uh, you know most of the Torah world is not passed like that. So uh, it's a very, very difficult, difficult situation. Um, but all I can say is, if you're interested in the pathology of this, uh, you can Google rapid onset gender dysphoria, and I think you'll see what a contagious, you know, social disease this is. It's really, a, it's a tragedy because. People have various conflicts, and now they're holding out sex change as a solution to conflict. And it doesn't solve anything. The people who were suicidal before are suicidal afterwards, and sometimes it makes them suicidal. People regret the decisions. Uh, the decisions are not reversible. Uh, you can't go back and forth on, on this. So uh, it really, really, really is a, a, a tragic, tragic situation. It's much more serious, I mean, you know, uh, same-sex attraction is a serious problem. Of course it's a serious problem. But uh, this is much, much more serious because same-sex attraction is an attraction. So you can work on it. There might be therapy that might help a person. Right. Uh, but when you're talking about changing, mama's changing the, the body. Now, it is interesting, though. I do want to point out that is there any concept in Torah of a woman's soul being in a man's body or a man's soul being in a woman's body? Um, Ah, so some want to say that this is the story of Yosef and Dina. That originally Yosef was a female and Dina was a male. And Hashem changed it. Right? Because Leah prayed. Right. So it's brought down that that's why Dina had certain masculine characteristics. That she was walking out in public areas. And that's why Yosef had a certain degree of femininity in being concerned with his Appearance, and Rav Chaim Vital writes. Rav Chaim Vital one of was the great Talmud of Arizal, and uh, he uh, one of his most famous books, which is actually translated on Chabad.org. You can actually see this yourself. Shar HaGilgulim. Every Shar HaGilgulim is the whole book on reincarnation on Gilgul. And Rav Chaim Vital says it is sometimes possible for a man's soul to come back as a Gilgal in a woman's body because of different Averis that a man did, etc. And he says, such a woman will have difficulty having children because she's a male soul and a male cannot have a child from a male unless the sparks of another woman's soul, this is called Ebor, Ebor is a concept that you have a primary soul, but there may be sparks of another soul that kind of combine. Yaldarebi talks about the fact that sometimes a great sadik may enter a spark into you to lift you up, whatever. So he says that a woman that is a gilgal of a man's soul will only be able to reproduce if the sparks of another woman's soul enter. And then he says further that such a woman will not be able to give birth to boys, only to girls, because as soon as she becomes fertile, the sparks of the woman will become a Gilgal 
in the child that is being born. Again, it's a complicated thing, but Yochan Vital does acknowledge the possibility of a woman's soul being in a man. Although I don't recall him saying a man's soul could be in a woman. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, the other way around. The other way around. Reb Chaim Vital says a man's soul can be in, in a woman. I don't recall him saying a that a woman's soul. Not that, necessarily. Well, in, as, in aspect in of aspect. it, in a certain aspect of it. Not, not legamory, but a, right. <coughs> a certain aspect, okay? <coughs> okay, so maybe we'll, we'll stop here. I wish you all well, much Hatzlach and Bracha. And if I could help you in any way, feel free to uh, email me. A lot of my NOT students send me uh, emails. So, uh, Thank you so uh, much. Judge, judge, judge.